Hello and welcome to your Active's AgriFood podcast. I'm Paula Andres. I'm Gerardo Fortuna. I'm Julia Dam. And here's your weekly update on all things agriculture and food in the EU from your Active's AgriFood team. This week, Ukraine's trade liberalization, Chinese fisheries, and a new European citizens initiative. So welcome back to another episode of your Active's AgriFood podcast. Um, Hello, welcome. Julia, it's been a very tough uh, week. There's also Paula. You you could have listened to her voice today. Um, without Suki. Without Suki this time. Yeah. Uh, people Sadly. on our listeners on Twitter know that uh, last time that Paula was with us, she wasn't alone. <laughs> she was with, with her um, lovely dog, Suki. She's a 100% professional dog. Super professional, I'd say. I trained her. Yeah. And um, I, posi- I, you know, I trained it for being in, in, into a podcast. For, for being a podcaster. Of course, of That's course. A podcast dog. A podcast, podcast dog. dog. <laughs> a dog cast. Oh, okay, <laughs> this, is, this is already going out of end. Um, yeah, it's been a very busy week in Germany. Yeah, there's been lots of stuff happening in Germany. Um, it's the Green Week, the big agricultural convention in Berlin. There was also the Berlin Agriculture Ministers Conference and lots of events all around these two big, uh, big things, basically. So it's been very busy weeks in terms of agri uh, in Berlin. Lots of people here, lots of stuff going on. And one of the people who are who were in Berlin for this, actually, is none other than EU Agriculture Commissioner Janusz Wojciechowski. Um, very nice for me to have the occasion to uh, see him here in Berlin. Usually he's with you guys over in Brussels. Yeah. You're used to see him in Brussels. Yeah, I have to come to Brussels to see him usually, but this time he came to me. This time, this time, yeah. Much more comfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was very kind of him. Yeah, indeed. Thanks, thanks, Janusz Wojciechowski, for um, following <laughs> my call at Camp to Berlin. Um, well, but uh, what he said was also quite interesting, so... I had the occasion to be in a press conference um, that he spoke in. And so I asked a bit about the problems that um, several countries have been complaining about in terms of uh, grain imports from Ukraine. So as some of you might know, um, if you've read our coverage before or listened to the podcast, the EU has put in place a number of measures to help Ukraine export its grain since the start of the Russian war. And this includes trade liberalizations, so um, taxes, uh, import tariffs that were cut rather, uh, and quotas were um, suspended, but also the so-called solidarity lanes. So these are measures to help export grain via road, rail, river, via the neighboring countries of Ukraine. So grain would be brought, for example, into Poland. Let's say the... the combination of both uh, was uh, a perfect cocktail. I mean, <laughs> perfect for, for Ukraine, of course, but it's causing some problems with uh, your farmers, no? Indeed, indeed. So all of this has been working very well, as you say, from the perspective of Ukraine. Uh, grain exports have picked up again. Um, but yeah, it's been causing problems for the countries neighboring Ukraine because grain comes, as farmers over there complain, uh, point out over the border into say Romania or Poland but then much of that grain isn't transported further as it should be and it stays on the local market uh, brings prices down and crowds out local farmers from the market 
And actually, Julia, uh, while uh, the number one of the EU agriculture policy was in Berlin, the number two was in Brussels. I'm talking about the DG Agri um, Secretary General uh, Wolfgang Burcher. Uh, he was a conference that I attended and I asked uh, his opinion about the situation. Let's hear what he said. I think the uh, uh, measures that were taken to liberalize exports from Ukraine were taken, if I can say it, unanimously because uh, of the uh, terrible situation in which Ukraine is. Now the discussion is starting about the extension of these measures because I think uh, the ATM measures are limited in time until beginning of June. So evidently we are now in the, at the point in time where the discussion on the extension starts and we will see what these discussions lead to. So yeah, it wasn't that much from his side. <laughs> it was a bit, uh, let's say, cautious, overcautious. So what's the real problem? Uh, can, can you tell us a bit more about that, Julia? Yeah, I mean, basically, it's been very hard for farmers, especially small farmers in, say, Poland, Romania, because basically they're used to selling their grain on the local market. But this influx of Ukrainian grain, which is usually also cheaper than what they produce, um, has brought prices down a lot. And now they can't sell their grain, basically. Prices are down too much and no one wants it. So some farmers have even reported that they haven't even harvested maize. They've just left it on the field to rot because it's not worth it economically. So now the question is, what do we do? And there are several options on the table, but all of them are a bit contentious, let's say. And basically the big question is, should we support them, these farmers in these countries, using EU money or should we support them using national money? So Wojciechowski speaking in Berlin. The great question, actually. Yeah. You know, the, the big question. This, the, the eternal question of the... <laughs> yeah, yeah, in the EU it's always like this. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah. particularly, particularly now, as you were saying, yes. Solidarity exactly, between brackets. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um, Wojciechowski speaking in Berlin brought the option to the table that the crisis reserve, so-called crisis reserve, could be used, which is a fund inside the EU's common agricultural policy that can be used for situations like this, for disruptions to the market that were unforeseen. Um, but this is EU money. It comes from the common agricultural policy. And some countries are cautious to use this also because you can only use it once a year. And then if you already use it in January, what if we need it later and all this? So the other option would be to allow member states to support farmers more. So basically to loosen EU state aid rules, which has already been done a bit in terms of um, in the context of the crisis. Yeah, they, um, they raised the ceiling for state aid for farmers. Uh, now it's a very high ceiling. It's like, I think, 250K per farms which wow. is super high. I mean, if you consider that the, the minimis, so basically the uh, normal ceiling is 25K and now it's... Uh... Indeed, yeah. So usually the EU keeps quite tight caps, as you say, on um, how much national member states pay or in terms of subsidies. And this is to ensure 
the level play, playing field, as it's always called. Uh, that's kind of a holy word. And you speak the level playing field on the common market. So, of course, if you raise this, and this is also why some countries are skeptical of this option, countries like Germany, say, who are um, economically strong, can just subsidize their farmers a lot. And it'll put farmers in countries that maybe can't put that much money into subsidizing farmers at a disadvantage. So that's kind of the conundrum that we're looking at. And it's all going to be discussed um, from all we know at the upcoming or at today's um, actual Agri-Fish Council, so meeting of agriculture ministers in Brussels. So, yeah, we can expect this to be a contentious debate. Yeah, it's also, of course, related to the, um, the what we mentioned before, so the trade liberalization uh, scheme with Ukraine. There was a very interesting article by our colleague Natasha, who uh, collected that bit the opinions of the member states who expressed the uh, uh, let's say, some kind of um, concern about the, the renewal of this trade liberalization scheme. Uh, Julia was uh, explaining this before. It was basically an extra extraordinary and temporary uh, suspension of the tariffs and quota on Ukraine exports to Europe. It was done, of course, to uh, bo both boost Ukraine's economy in, uh, during war, but also to contribute to the country's gradual integration into the EU internal market. It was an unprecedented proposal. It's going to expire, as Wolfgang Burcher was saying, in uh, June, so they, they're considering whether to renew it. It's very important from a strategic point of view. Eh? It, uh, again, we're talking about agri-food export and imports, but we're also talking about the inter integration of a country in war, at war at the moment, uh, into the EU. So it's uh, it's very interesting uh, from a geopolitical perspective and a strategic geostrategical actually perspective. Uh, but yeah, um, I mean, I also I'm, I'm picking up again uh, the chat that I had with uh, Wolfgang Burcher. And uh, I also asked him about the um, the current measures that the EU is uh, taking. Um, again, the real measures, so the Commission's measures, not the state aid, because uh, Wojciechowski uh, two weeks ago in a hearing said that uh, they've done basically everything. So I asked for confirmation uh, to uh, Wolfgang Burschen. Uh, let's hear what he said. The good message is that we see that Apparently, food inflation is culminating and it's slightly decreasing. And uh, as regards to the measures which we have taken, indeed, I think we, we have fully uh, used our, uh, our uh, uh, instruments. Remember, the, the key reason for uh, food inflation is the increase of input prices for farmers in particular, energy, fertilizer, and, and feedstuffs. And all these elements have been addressed by Commission policies, in particular on the energy side. I think the European Commission has, has uh, uh, offered to member states uh, a lot of uh, possibilities how to lower the energy bills. And since this is the main driver, of uh, food inflation, 
I also think that uh, these, uh, these measures will help us to, to reduce food inflation. Indeed, I do not think that we have many other opportunities to reduce food inflation. And there was a, another very interesting article, a real reporting that was published on our website this week, uh, last week by Paula, our uh, colleague. And it was on something that is not agriculture related. It's not, no, it's actually food related, <laughs> but uh, it's also related to, um, let's say, a global perspective or a common good, a global common good, which is our ocean. Uh, we're talking about fisheries mm-hmm. and in particular, a very interesting development about the China's present, presence on the oceans, which sometimes we're talking about China's presence in Africa and in other, even in Europe. Yeah. But this time we're talking about uh, the ocean, water. Uh, what's happening, Paola? Well, basically, uh, recently in the past months, policymakers and various stakeholders have been pushing on the Commission to apply rules, uh, EU rules on illegal fishing to China. These were, for example, the advisory councils, uh, which represent NGOs and the fishing sector, but also MEPs and researchers who presented a study this week on the impact of uh, Chinese uh, fisheries um for for the european fleet um they have asked the commission to actually be more transparent on why isn't the eu giving a yellow card to china um well yes the eu has a system um uh, which is pretty much like i'm not a football fan but it is pretty you're much not like, a football fan i'm not a football fan oh my god don't don't, don't play the you, football you club ca- barcelona you, yeah in the you come from barcelona <laughs> this is this is we're gonna lose a lot of listeners we're gonna lose you can cut this um but yeah it's very much like a football match so there is a yellow yellow and red card um a yellow card is a warning in light of evidence of unregulated and illegal fishing. Then if the country continues to not comply with the rules, uh, the EU will show the red card, which basically means that this country will be banned from the EU market. Um, Actually, the EU has opened this kind of procedures to 27 countries already since its application in 2012, so in the past 10 years. 27 countries is a lot. It's It's mainly smaller countries. Mm, which you can also see uh, in a graphic in the article. Small uh, countries, but they miss the big one. <laughs> small countries. <laughs> I think that all these countries combined would yeah. uh, fish as much as China does. Uh, but yeah, as you get yeah, China... Only, uh, catching the small fisher. Yeah, <laughs> catching <laughs> Los pesqueñines, that we call in Spanish. Um, You're trying to praise uh, the listeners that we're losing. Listeners. Okay, yeah. okay. Uh, But as you guessed, China is not one of them, as you guessed well. Why is that? Well, the commission itself said uh, to MEPs this week that it prefers to use the dialogue within the Blue Partnership, which is this um, bilateral agreement between China and the EU to talk about this kind of stuff. Others have said that maybe banning China from the EU market would be too much of a loss. We are talking about billions since China is one of the main trading partners of the EU in aquaculture, uh, fishing products. Um, But one thing is clear, and it is that the Commission will have to come up with uh, better explanations 
in the near future to convince lawmakers and the fishing sector that dialogue only is going to solve this problem. But what kind of practices are they um, complaining about? Uh, what China is doing in uh, the waters? Uh, so there is a report uh, which talks about this uh, and it was uh, commissioned by the European Parliament and basically what the report highlights is uh, uh, obscure subsidies uh, to Chinese vessels uh, fishing on uh, um, the national waters of other countries. Um, as well as going dark, which means, uh, for example, the long distance fleet of China, which um, is approximately 2,000 vessels, but uh, this is a very... It's uh, a lot. A, a, it's an approximate number, because actually the report says that they cannot know how many there really are. Um, but these distance, uh, long distance uh, vessels uh, sometimes turn off their systems, their um the location systems. So this, and then they start illegal catches. This allows them to go dark, as yeah, the report yeah, says. Yeah. And this, well, it doesn't conclude that they actually uh, are have yeah. illegal practices, but... But still... It is, it is a proper suspicion. Yeah, also, because, uh, uh, of course, uh, many of you know that uh, the European Union is, in, is um, implementing this uh, concept. Like, I mean, it's, uh, it's tried to fighting this illegal, unreported and unregulated fishing, uh, IUU is the acronym. So um, it's quite important for European fishers and they, I mean, one of the uh, main uh, push at the global level of the EU is to is that you know third countries could also uh, start implementing this uh, uh, regulation or on illegal fishing, which is quite of a uh, very bad thing for our ocean for the biomass in uh, in uh, water. Mm -hmm. uh, so, what's the conclusion, Paula? Well, uh, so the European Parliament is going to come up with a report on this, uh, the PESH committee, um, and then... And then let's see if the commission... Let's uh, see will what be... happens. <laughs> also because in other countries are st have started uh, sanctioning uh, China. Yeah, for example, the US uh, also in December uh, sanctioned uh, about 150 Chinese-owned vessels mm. over illegal fishing, but also human right abuses. So this doesn't only stop in illegal fishing. Um, uh, but it, it also it, it's also implying human rights abuses like corruption um, involving corruption and uh, and forced labor in these vessels. So have a read uh, to this uh, very interesting. Uh, it's a long read actually. It's quite long. It's a long read. It's a long read. You can uh, read it with a coffee also... or or a beer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or a beer. Up to you. It depends also on the timing of the day. Don't uh, read it with a fish uh, on a plate. <laughs> These are the suggestions from the author. Yeah. Check where your fish comes from. You're getting the the other also because I mean by talking about the yellow and red uh, cards, we're losing also the listeners that are against NutriScore. Don't worry, guys. It's not about NutriScore. We're talking about another stuff. But yes, have a have a read uh, at Paula's story. There are also some infographics, super interesting. And last week, there was uh, also another important uh, moment, highlight, 
was uh, the presentation of a new European citizens initiative, which again, Paola reported on it. So Paola, uh, it's again up to you to introduce a bit to this topic. I've been very busy this week. Busy. (laughs) Because we moved from fish to bees. Yeah, so, all the all the good stuff. It uh, is perfect. Uh, we have Julia reporting on the crisis reserve fund, and you're uh, you know, with <laughs> fish and bees. Very good. So yeah, this week there were some news uh, for the bees. Um, this uh, the European Citizens Initiative called Save Bees and Farmers uh, was presented by their organizers in the Parliament, in the European Parliament, in front of the Commission and MEPs. They have collected over one million signatures, and one of their demands is to completely ban synthetic pesticides mm-hmm. by which are be toxic by 2035 let's say that the debate was lively as the mb committee chair described it um but we have uh, natasha mb committee chair pascal Canfan that we we say hi to him we say he hi is, to him is a, is a, a friend listener. of yours no it's a list okay. friend of mine i don't know <laughs> So, uh, journalists don't have friends uh, in the no, in the okay. power. Yeah. Journalists uh, don't have friends in, in general, general. In general, <laughs> in general. Uh, yes, yeah, so Natasha uh, spoke about this uh, with Madeleine Cost, who is the Slow Foods EU policy officer, and we will hear it now. So, Madeleine, perhaps you could explain f- uh, for our listeners, firstly, what exactly this European Citizens Initiative um, is. Uh, how did it come about and, and what does it call for concretely? What are you asking for? So this European Citizens Initiative, um, generally, these are basically European-wide petitions where we have to raise one million signatures um, across the whole EU with a certain threshold per member state that we have to reach. Um, citizens can um, can open and launch an ECI And basically, if you reach the threshold of 1 million signatures, uh, the European Commission has to listen to your demands and answer them in some way. It is not uh, that they have to meet your demands exactly, but they have to receive you. And um, yeah, so this is what we this is what we we did. So the European Citizens Initiative Save Bees and Farmers was launched in 2019 and uh, ended in 2021. And um, the goal of the campaign was really to call for a, uh, in sh- a shift in the way that we have, uh, in the way that we do agriculture in the EU. Um, the Save Bees and Farmers name comes from the fact that our demands are both about reducing the use of pesticides in the EU and providing support to farmers in order to make that change. Because we know that it's not feasible uh, and not easy for, for farmers to do this on their own. So you've achieved this magic one million number of signatories. Um, and so after this, there was this joint parliamentary hearing yesterday. Um, there was loads of people in the room. We had you know, MEPs, commission representatives. I think it's fair to say it was a fairly mixed bag in terms of response. But I'd like to hear from you. You know, What's your reaction on how the ECI was received? How do you feel that went? The ECI closed in 2021 and it got validated by the European Commission at the end of 2022. So before uh, going to the hearing yesterday, uh, we actually first uh, were received by the European Commission in November. So we were received by uh, Commissioners Kiriakides and Jourova. 
And the second step uh, in the ECI process was therefore indeed yesterday to be received by the European Parliament. So we had this hearing. Um, it was a long hearing. It took four hours. But it was a great opportunity for us to really bring the voice of the 1.1 million signatures directly into uh, to the European Parliament. So this was very was very exciting. You presented this to the, to the commission and we also had the commission representatives there um, during the hearing. Um, what do you make of their reaction? Do you feel like this initiative has reached them? Are they, you know, kind of responding positively to this? I think the European Commission received our ECI well, um, both in November and, and yesterday. Uh, Commissioner Jehovah, who is in charge of values and transparency, she really makes a point that these ECIs are very important to bring the voice of citizens to the EU policymaking. We struggled a little bit to get these 1.1 million signatures over two years, and I think that they really recognized um, that, that indeed this campaign was difficult, especially during COVID, and that the messages that we were bringing were very important. Uh, Stella Kiriakides in November, because she wasn't at the hearing yesterday, she also greatly um, recognizes and appreciates the, the support to an EU uh, binding target on the pesticide reduction in the EU, because of course, this is also what the Commission has been proposing. It's not the same target, uh, the farm to fork strategy, and the Commission are proposing a 50% uh, reduction target, and we have been calling for an 80% target, and also a vision to phase out the use uh, entirely. But still, we have this common demand, which is that we need an EU binding target. Uh, amongst the MEPs, let's talk about that now, because there were a lot of MEPs that were kind of on your side, that were very positive about this, but there were others mainly in the Agriculture Committee, also mainly on the centre-right of the Parliament. Um, there were a lot of concerns over food security. It's obviously become uh, a very hot topic since Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Um, you know, what's your response to, to the fears over food security? What would you say to, to these MEPs? I think that they're playing a little bit on, on the whole situation. Uh, like I said yesterday during the hearing, this is kind of a pattern that we see, that every time there is a geopolitical crisis or a natural crisis, um, the agro-industry is kind of calling for an intensification of food production, and it doesn't, uh, it doesn't make sense. The way, that we, the way that we see it is um, that we cannot delay... It, it, it's a short-sighted view that in, we need to intensify food production in, in these cases. And it's not taking account of the fact that we need food security on the long term. And this simply won't be possible without sustainable food systems, with healthy soils, um, with pollinators, etc. And this is well described in the Commission report on the drivers of food security in the EU, where they identify that the current high input intensive agricultural model based on chemical pesticides is likely to pose a food security threat in the medium term due to a loss of biodiversity, the likely increase in pests, decline in soil health, and the loss of pollinators, which they say are essential to agricultural production. So again, the MEPs that are saying that decreasing the use of pesticides is going to lead to, to food insecurity, they're really missing the bigger picture here, and, and they're just kind of instrumentalizing uh, the situation, in our opinion. Hmm. And so now let's talk about next steps. Are you kind of hopeful for the next steps? How will you keep following up on this uh, with the Commission? Of course, uh, our ECI has several demands. Uh, one is the EU binding target on uh, pesticide reduction, but it's also about providing measures to restore biodiversity and really helping farmers to transition to agroecology. One big way that the EU can address these demands is, of course, through the sustainable use of pesticides regulation that right now is being discussed and, and debated. We know that um, the council has been um, has, has 
asked the commission to provide more data about how this might affect food security. And of course, yesterday during the hearing, we saw that there's really no consensus about uh, the sustainable use of pesticides regulation. So the next steps for us will be to keep monitoring these debates and uh, and, and really um, seeing how we can encourage member states and members of the parliament to um, adopt and be in favor of this pesticide reduction target. But at the same time, there are other measures that have to be taken um, in the way that we have to uh, support farmers to transition to agroecology. This also uh, is looking more towards the next cap reform, for example, or also uh, the current um, national strategic plans. So there is more than just the sustainable use of pesticides regulation that is in play. So that's all from us this week. And this week, like every week, the AgriFood podcast was produced by Eurectives AgriFood news team. That's Paula Andres, Strado Fortuna, Natasha Foot, and Julia Dam, with the technical support of Evi Chiori. This podcast is also available on all major streaming platforms, including Spotify, Amazon, Apple, and Stitcher. And be sure to subscribe to our newsletter so you don't miss the latest agricultural news uh, from the EU from your active AgriFood team. I'm Gerardo Fortuna. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Mm-hmm.